0: Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, C4. Hope you're having a great summer. You know, as I was thinking about the passage we're going to be uh, going to this morning, and we've been learning how to pray through the scriptures, I, I had conversations with a few people, and I just asked them, like, how, how's your prayer life? What does prayer mean to you? And I got a variety of responses. Um, You know, there's those that just are in a real habit of prayer. There's a a few people who told me that they couldn't, they couldn't go a single day without just praying about everything in their life. And I'm like, I want to be like you. And then I had this conversation with a person that I, I deeply admire and know and, um, I said, you know, what? what's prayer like for you? And they said, well, I begin every single day eating my breakfast of bananas and blueberries and high-fiber, so that seemed to be an important factor for their prayer life, and I pray over my day, and then they said this, and then I figure the rest of the day is up to me. Wow, really? So we had this conversation about that. So you pray at the beginning of your day, but the rest of the day is up to you. I actually, I wasn't sitting really in judgment. I felt like, oh my goodness, I think that's what I do. How about you? Do you sometimes prayers like this thing that you do, but then the rest of the day is up to you? You know, is reflecting reflecting on, on how we do our Christian life uh, for myself, for you as well, and I thought about prayer as being sort of somewhat like this box. Like if this is your life, okay, we live this compartmentalized life, right? Like here's you, all the aspects of your life— You've got your family and your friends and your job and you, your relationships and your finances and all this stuff, your, your kids or, or the lack of or your singleness or, or your parenting. I mean, all these different areas of your life and so often, how, do, how often do we live our life where like, this is our prayer compartment, right? Like, okay, I got my prayer thing. It's tucked right over here. But like, somehow the rest is up to me. I really was challenged deeply as if that's how I live my life. And I want to ask you, is that the reality? Do you live a compartmentalized life where, like, prayer's one part of your life, but the rest of it is kind of up to you? I'm going to take you to a prayer of Paul that I think challenges that whole idea. I know it's deeply challenged me as I've been preparing, as I've been reading. This is one of my all-time favorite portions of Scripture. And sometimes when you've read Scripture and you think that you get it until you really dig in, then God shows you something new. So I'm hoping today that as we go here, it's going to maybe reframe your idea of how you do prayer and how you do live this life called a Christian life. You see, I've had seasons of my life where I've literally had what I call a stinky prayer life. Uh, My stinky prayer life was really because I think I lived with this mentality that somehow I'd pray about stuff, but the rest was up to me. And I felt unmotivated and very distracted and a little ADD writing lists in the middle of my prayer, and nobody else, I'm sure, can relate to this, Right? You all got this thing down? And so then stuff started to happen in my life, stuff in these different compartments in my life that began, one compartment began to run into another compartment, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the finances. We had a year where my husband, who was a foot specialist and worked for the hospitals, and the hospitals decided, well, we don't need that service anymore, and so that meant his job ended. And the same year that happened, we got robbed, and and in the, in the robbery of our house, our dog was terribly traumatized, and we had to get rid of the dog, and and then far worse than actually any of these things, we lost uh, Dean's mom to cancer. It was like so many compartments of our lives were just crashing in on each other, you know what I'm saying? And to keep prayer tucked in the corner just didn't seem to enable us to live this powerful Christian life. You see, God wants us to take all these compartments, all this stuff of our life, and actually the entire box is prayer. We put every compartment as into our prayer life, or we put prayer into every compartment of our life. You know, when the world and your family and situations start coming in on you, you understand better that prayer actually is a place of power. You see, prayer is talking to God. It's communicating with God. It's listening to God, but it's a place of power. Is prayer a place of power for you? Today I'm going to show you a prayer that will teach you how to pray powerfully, and I believe it's a prayer that teaches us how to live this powerful Christian life. You know, the Bible instructs us that we're to pray about everything, that actually if we surrender our box of stuff to the heavenly Father, the one who is in charge, we welcome the intervention of heaven, that actually we welcome the will of God into all matters of our life. That's what prayer is about. I remember being in this season I've shared with you before many times, a season where our kids were running from God and, and choosing things in their life that were destructive to them and to others. And I'll tell you, it was in those times that my husband and I felt like we didn't even know how to pray, and some of you are there today. You're so broken and exhausted, you're not even sure how to pray. And I can tell you that the practice of praying Scripture, that's when it became alive to me. Because of my inability to pray, I was given a book called Praying God's Word. And in this book, uh, the author had d- literally taken Scripture and wrote it into prayers. And that's not my background, you know. Like, my background was a little bit more freestyle praying. So I thought, I don't know if I'm comfortable with just reading a prayers. Like, will it be real? And be... as each night, my husband and I would take this book, and I'd say, your turn. <laughs> or he'd say, your turn. And we would open this book, and we literally read these prayers out of Scripture. I cannot tell you the strength that came to us. I cannot even describe to you how we saw the will of God and what we would read out of these prayers of Scripture and literally start to ignite and become alive in our life. I had a survival book by my bed, It's called the Bible. It's a great book of survival. And right beside the Bible, I had this other book, and it was called The Power of Praying for Your Adult Children by Stormy Omardian. Because that was the season we were in, we took that book and we started asking God for the very specific things that we were to pray for our kids. And so as he would tell us, we would circle the chapter, and then we would highlight the prayers in the chapter, and we would pray those prayers, just reading them over and over and over again. Do you know that book, Still by My Bedside? Do you know that even though, like, you know, two of them are married and they're, they're gone away and all? that We're still praying those prayers for our adult children. We have truly seen, as we would write in the margin of the, of the prayers, right beside the Scripture, the date, the very date when God answered that prayer. And then we go to our Bible and we write the very date. You see, praying the prayers of Scripture, praying Scripture itself will give you words beyond yourself. It will welcome the will of God into your life because God's Word never returns empty, ever. It never returns empty. You can pray through the Scriptures that God's give you and He will demonstrate His power. You want to live a powerful Christian life? (laughs) I sure do. I want you to think for a moment of who or what's in your box. W- what are the compartments in your life? Who are those people? What are those circumstances? Is it your job? Is it your finances? Is it this decisions that need to be made? Is it, is it those kids or friends or neighbors? Who's in your box? And as we think about this passage today, I want you to literally visualize every compartment of your life, and how you're going to welcome in the will of God through prayer. You see, God wants us to give us our box. We think some of the boxes are ours. We live our life like, these are my boxes, and well, God, you can have these ones. Anybody live that way? Confession, right? I do. I, there's certain boxes in my life that I just like to be in charge of, And then the other ones, well, that's okay. You can have those, God. He wants them all. He wants all of yourself. He wants all of you. He wants all of your stuff. So how do we get there? How do we pray this prayer? Well, this prayer that Paul prays is actually a prayer that he prayed for his friends. He prayed for those that he loved because it's from Ephesians and it's found in Ephesians chapter three. And if you're listening online or you're following us and you can't see the scriptures on the screen, I'm really gonna encourage you to open up Ephesians chapter three as we walk through this prayer because I want you to see it for what it actually says. But just before we get there, I want you to give you the context of this prayer because context is so important. You see, Paul was praying this for his friends and he begins verse 14 by saying, when I think of all this, well, what is all this? Whenever Scripture says, therefore, or I think about this, we've got to go back. And what he's saying is, Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, remember what I've said to you, my dear friends. These were non-Jewish people. These were people that Paul had been assigned to bring the gospel to. The Ephesian church started about 53 years after Christ's death. It's a very early, in early church history, this is one of the The earliest churches. Paul was on his way back to Jerusalem when this church had started. And then we read that Paul went back uh, to the church uh, about a year later, and in Acts 19. Remember, we went through the book of Acts and we read this wonderful story of Acts with the Ephesian church, and he stayed with them for three years. It wasn't just a drive-by missionary trip. It wasn't a short-term trip. He lived with these people for three years. He taught them. He did his life with them. He hung out with them. He trained up their leadership and their elders. And we see the story unpack in Acts 19 and 20. And then at the end of chapter 20, I'll never forget this when we're going through the book of Acts, and there's this beautiful scene of Paul on the beach Remember it? And Paul's on the beach with his friends and with the leaders of the church. And what happened when they were on the beach is that it says that they wept. They wept with Paul. Why? Because they knew they were saying goodbye to their dear friend. And they knew that by saying goodbye to him they would most likely not see him again because of the persecution that they were under and that he was under. And sure enough, Paul ends up in jail, and he's writing to them, and he says, when I think of all this, my friends, I've told you in Ephesians 1, one of the best chapters of the Bible to know who you are in Christ, he says in Ephesians chapter 1, you have been, you are in Christ, and you're showered with all the kindness of God. You've been chosen by God. Don't forget, Ephesians, that you're marked with the Holy Spirit, that you're actually filled with the Spirit that you are free of sin and bondage because you Gentiles who were far from God, who thought this salvation story had nothing to do with you, God said, it's for you too, and he brought you into his family. He brought you near to himself, and he goes into Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and then 3, and he says, and I have the privilege as an apostle to bring this great news of salvation to you, and now You're part of God's family, like you're part of his house. And you stand, Ephesians, you Gentiles, you actually get to stand with the prophets of the Old Testament, the apostles of the New Testament, the Jewish people, and now Gentiles and all nations can have access to God. This is the story of Ephesians. This is what he's reminding them of. He's saying, you get to be part of the family and the grace and the goodness of God. He's reminding them of all this. And then just two verses before this prayer, man, if you get nothing this morning, please lean in and listen to this because this is one of the greatest, most profound setups to the gospel. And it gives such a context to the power of the gospel. Ephesians 3, chapter uh, chapter 3, verses 10 and 13, just before the prayer, Paul says this. Okay, because of all that, God's purpose in all of this, all of this story of God, was to use the church. Now remember, the church it is the people of God. He's going to use the people of God to display his wisdom in its rich variety, not just to Jews, but to all who would believe, to all the other people of the world. No, to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, God uses the church to confound angels and demons. God uses us, feeble, weak, undeserving human beings who mock the face of God, who do not truly understand the gift of grace. The angelic beings are watching going, I don't understand. Why would this all-powerful God do this? And what he did, he said, this was his eternal plan, meaning he didn't think it up just on a, one day. Oh, gee, maybe I better do something about the problems down there on earth. I'll come up with a plan. What will it be? No. He says, this was his eternal plan. He always had it in mind. It was always his plan, and he was going to carry it out through Christ Jesus our Lord. He was gonna carry out this story of redemption and grace through his very son. Because of Christ and because of our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Do you know what that means? You get to pray. Because of the profound story of God from the heavenlies, to come to earth through Christ, to rescue us from our sin, we're invited to march into the throne room of God and actually talk to the Father of all heaven and earth. The angels are stunned by this. They do not understand why we would be given permission. We, because of Christ, we can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So, my dear friends, please don't lose heart. Because of my trials here, I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Wow, this activity of prayer is actually an invitation right into the throne room of God, where the angelic beings are. That is mind-blowing. And that they truly do not understand the the, the plan of God. Angels shake their head when they look at us, I'm sure. Why would God even care for them? Those human beings, I can tell you, demons hate us because of it. They hate us because of the plan of God. This is the context of this prayer. God uses this church, the church, us, to confound and confuse the enemy, You know, in light of spiritual warfare, we know it's real and we know that we have the Son, Jesus, and we can go right into his throne room. We can bring our box of stuff. I mean, as tarnished and dirty and broken as it is, we can walk in there and say, Dear Heavenly Father. I mean, the angels are shaking their head at this. Think about, really, how incredible this is. So incredible that Paul breaks into this prayer. You got why he's excited? And he says, When I think of all this, when I think of all this, verse 13, verse 14, I fall to my knees and I pray. See, when you actually understand that you have permission to enter the throne room of God, doesn't it make you fall to your knees? Like, it's just not a trite little thing that you put in the corner of your life and you think, every once in a while I'll pray, but the rest is up to me. We have to be out of our minds to not access the throne room of God when we get this. You know what I'm saying? To come confidently and boldly with our kids, with our stuff, with our our finances, with our concern, any part of our life, we get to go confidently and boldly. The doors have been swung open. He says, I fall to my knees and I pray. I pray to who? I pray to the Father. I pray to the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Prayer gives us direct access to the Father, the creator of everything. Prayer is our response to the gospel of our Father where we get to enter into his throne room and we fall on our knees. You see, the emphasis here in this verse, we're gonna meet the Trinity in this prayer, Here we meet the Father, the one who is the creator of all. And one of the main themes, uh, or the the cosmic father, this is the idea that God is over all of, everything created in heaven, and everything created on earth. He's over it all, he is the supreme ruler. Nothing is more powerful than God our Father. No demons are are more powerful, no angels are more powerful, not even Satan himself is more powerful than God the Father who created all of heaven and all of earth. We get to be part of that big story. We see the physical side of things, don't we? Our stuff. <laughs> We're so consumed with the physical side and this physical realm of life, but the Ephesians understood spiritual warfare. You see, many of them were saved out of occultic practices. Witchcraft was huge in Ephesus, and when they came to Christ, they put down their incantations. They put down their witchcraft. They put down their occultic worship because God says, you can have no other God before me. You do not pray in the name of any other God. And the Ephesians understood the reality of of warfare, of spiritual warfare, because they were very much involved in the practices of that. It's one of the main themes in Ephesians. They wouldn't be surprised by it. They're reminded by it that God is actually the one in charge of all the heavenly and the earthly realm. So we bow to the Father, the one who is over all, who rules and reigns overall this is how we approach prayer the fatherhood of god and this implies something very significant this was god's plan from the beginning so please hear this the fatherhood of god implies that god created every single person all of our origin is from the same father those that have believed in jesus and those who have not believed in Jesus. Equally loved. Sometimes, as believers, we lose sight of that. That we are to love those that are made in the image of God, even though they have not yet chosen to acknowledge or follow their heavenly Father, they are equally loved as much as those of us who do have chosen to follow God. How do you view people that are lost? Do you see them loved less? Because that's not biblical. Our Heavenly Father deeply loves all of His creation. Our heart towards those who have not yet bowed to the Father should be the same heart as our Father, that we love them the way our Father loves them, equally. That profoundly changes how you view lost people, doesn't it? You know, some some of you, when you hear the Father heart of God or God the Father, it troubles you because your experience on this earth has been one of a broken father experience. You've had a painful earthly father experience. You know, God, the character and the fatherhood of God should be reflected in all of earthly fathers, but because of sin, it's tainted, isn't it? that many of us experience this broken image of the Father heart of God. God is actually neither male nor female. Scripture reminds us that we are not to make God in our image, but we know it's an accurate reflection to call God the Father because Jesus did. You see, Jesus referred to him as Father, called him Abba Father, and so through the example of Christ, Reproaching God as father, heavenly father, a pure loving father is actually a deeply biblical approach to God. And actually the encouragement behind this is even if you have experienced a broken father relationship, we all actually have a perfect father. We actually all get a perfect dad when we will fall into the arms of our heavenly father because he 's the perfect dad, prayer enables us to approach him and he and he Paul, in writing this prayer, says, in light of the fact that you know the Father, you have access i 've got two things I want to pray for you about and here 's the first prayer: he prays for power that comes from the spirit. Does anybody want some power <laughs> in their life? You know he prays for this. listen to what he says in verse sixteen, I pray that out of his glorious riches, this heavenly father, this one who gives out life to us, I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this is a very practical and very powerful prayer. we praying for strength And praying for power in the Scripture is one and the same thing. You see, strength comes through the Spirit. The the second person of the Trinity is the source of power of the Trinity. We know that Jesus, when he lived and, and walked on this earth, he did everything that he did out of the power of the Holy Spirit. He operated in spiritual gifts, and he operated in the fruit of the Spirit through the Holy Spirit, working in and through him. And it's the same way that we also learn to operate in the Spirit. You see, power and the Spirit go together. The Spirit is the power of God at work in a person's life. No Spirit, no power. Scripture's very clear about that. If you ignore the Holy Spirit, you grieve the Spirit. There is strong warning into in Scripture against grieving the Holy Spirit and I would encourage you, as we do in our church, to pray to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and welcome the Spirit's power. Ephesians 2 describes the church as a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. You see, it's a space or place where the Spirit resides in your heart. As it says in this verse, Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Christ takes up residence if it were, in your heart. Your heart is your mind, your body, your emotions, your will. This is your inward being. You know, I was listening to the radio a while ago and I heard there's this new book out by the Briscoes who are a bit, uh, some of you would know that maybe are on in age. You would know Stuart and Jill Briscoe. They've written this book called Aging Well. I thought of, you know, other people I could buy it for, but then I thought, well, maybe I should buy it for myself. Um, But the point of this book was that Scripture talks about, even though when you're getting old and your body's wearing away, you know, this outward shell, this tent we live in, <laughs> that inwardly we can be renewed day by day. I just, I just wanted to say that to some of you who are maybe older of age and feel like the body's just not the same as it used to be and you're struggling physically. Do you know there's a promise in Scripture you can become, every day you can be renewed in your inner man, every day you can be strengthened in your inner man it doesn't matter how young or old you are every day we can be renewed inwardly isn't that a great hope so christ dwelling in you he's like he's permeating your mind your body your emotions your will it's equivalent This Christ dwelling in you is equivalent to Ephesians 5.18 when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. It's an equivalent Greek term. When we look at Ephesians 5.18, it says, do not be drunk with wine because it's going to ruin your life. Don't be under the influence of something else. That's the example he gives. But rather be filled with the Spirit. The example, the word, Greek word here to be filled, it's not a one time be filled and off you go, you're good to go. It's keep on being filled. Keep on giving your box of stuff every day and saying, would you fill me up today, Holy Spirit? Do you know I pray this prayer every morning? It's not because the Spirit leaves me, because I'm bought and I have this security of, uh, of knowing I belong to, to God, but I welcome the Holy Spirit every day for my sake. I'm reminding myself of how desperately I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life today. So here's one of the problems. If, if we could live a powerful Christian life, and if this is true, this prayer of that you can be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner man and Christ dwelling in your heart by faith, if that is true, then why do so many of us live a powerless Christian life? Is it wrong theology? Have we read the Bible wrong? Is it just for some people? The problem is us, isn't it? We actually don't allow the spirit of god to work in every area of our life you see god is not a bully and he is waits for our permission he invites the invitation is there but we need to welcome and be willing it key in that verse says through faith This is part of your faith journey. This is how you grow up in faith, is you have to recognize that you're not in control of everything, and through faith you say, God, I'm asking for your strength, for your insight, for your power, I want you to help me with my emotions. Would you strengthen my emotions and my mind today? This is a process of ongoing faith. This is how we grow in faith. We keep on wanting the Spirit's power, We actually recognize that we need to limit our own capacity and our need to be in control of everything. I'm sure nobody needed to hear that today, right? You're not in charge of everything, and you welcome the activity of God and the presence of Christ, but it does require faith. As you pray, you give over your boxes to God. You welcome his rule and his reign in the most practical sense in your life. Help me today as I'm talking to my neighbor. Help me today as I deal with my boss, right? Help me to make decisions today that honor you with my money. Jesus owns the box. When we welcome the power of the Holy Spirit, it starts permeating all the areas of our life. This is a prayer for power. Here's a second prayer he gives in this passage. I pray that you would be rooted in the gospel of love. Listen to this verse in verses 17 through 19, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, here it is again, that you can have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge and understanding, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Those verses are just an incredible way for us to understand that the power source that comes from the Holy Spirit ultimately is rooted and established in God's love. You see, You cannot, no matter what you bring to the table, God loves you. It doesn't matter how far you've run from God, how far you've been from God, God loves you. It doesn't matter actually how good you are, how good you think you are, God loves you. The Holy Spirit is reminding us of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is a story of love. And the words here is that actually you need to be rooted and established in this. In order to have a powerful Christian life, you need to be rooted and established and reminded of the gospel. To be rooted in the love of God is actually to be reminded of the gospel. Apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus, how would we ever really know what love is? It would be something obscure and imaginary, but 1 John 3 says it like this, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life. Actually, as difficult as it is to understand, it's really tangible. Scripture says you want to know, how, you want to know what real love is? Look at the cross. That is the picture, the demonstration of love. Different from any other religion, different from any other belief, we can look at the cross, the historicity, and the truth of the power of the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and we can know the tangible love of God by saying, it's like that, and look at the cross. Love is like, it's like what Jesus did on the cross where he died for people who were unworthy, who didn't even want it, where he rose again to conquer death, taking death on himself. But doesn't this also surpass knowledge? It's, it's also mind-blowing. Paul describes the love in this way. It's high, it's wide, it's long, it's deep. It's this mystery. God loves you so much, he loves you as much as he loved Jesus. How much does he love Jesus? Well, you see, Jesus is part of the Trinity. Now, here's a really mind-blowing concept. In this chapter, we see the Father, we see the Holy Spirit, and we see Jesus, this perfect Trinity. They have perfect love with one another. There's no disunity between the Trinity. Everything they do is united. And when you say, when you submit to the Lordship of the Trinity, think of this, you're invited right into the, the Trinity. You are actually invited to be part of the Trinity itself. We are invited into the family of God. That is, that's crazy. Like, that is actually beyond comprehension, that we can be caught up with the Trinity. J.D. Greer put it this way, the gospel, however, is not just the diving board off of which we jump into the pool of Christianity. Stop on that. How many of you, we think, the gospel is recognizing the death and resurrection of Christ, believing in his death and resurrection, therefore I become a Christian, and that's the gospel, right? But he goes on to say this, it's actually the pool itself. It's not only the way we begin in Christ, it's the way we grow in Christ. That's why growth in Christ is never going beyond the gospel, but going deeper into the gospel. The gospel of grace is a radically unique liberating message in a world of religious commands and restrictions. But it's the only message that can really change us. Religion might be able to force outward conformity, for a while, but religion can never transform the heart. Isn't that the truth? I love that reminder that the gospel isn't just the springboard of which I enter into relationship with God, it's the pool I swim in. I get to swim in the pool of the gospel for the rest of my life. I could never delve to the depths of it, the widths of it, or the heights of it That as I understand more closely what it means that Jesus would come and die for me, as I'm re-evangelized to the gospel, the more I yield over my life to him, the more I understand the power of its love towards me. Here's what happens when when you dive and swim in the gospel. Here's a few things that happen to you. The gospel gives you peace and security with God, and that produces a love for God. You see, a good dad doesn't say to his kids when he's going away on a trip, a good dad doesn't say, you know, well, kids, I'm I'm going on a trip. I'll be back soon, or maybe I won't. In fact, maybe I'm not even your daddy after all. You know what? You're lucky that I even speaking to you right now, but you know, if I feel like it, I might come back and see you. So kids, you better be good, because if I show up on the door and you're like, what, dad, what good dad talks like that, right? What would that breed in your kids is insecurity and fear, and, and they, they might obey daddy for a while out of fear, but I can tell you that'll lead to good old rebellion after not, to, not too long. But you see, we don't have a God who says, well, I might be back. I'm not even sure I'm your dad anyway. We, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you. We have a Father who does not abandon us, who is with us, and as we understand the love of God, it's the only thing that truly inspires our love for God. How's your love for God? Is it gone cold? Is it kind of dry? If you're, like, listening to me and thinking, I just, I'm in a hard place. I don't know if God, I'm not really feeling the love of God. Can I encourage you to dive into the pool of the gospel, can I encourage you to spend time in the scriptures where you're re-reminded of the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I ask you to ask the Lord and the Holy Spirit to remind you of the depths of the gospel, of this great grace, this undeserving grace that you would even have access to God? This story of forgiveness where none of us are worthy, the more you understand your unworthiness, the more you're so grateful grateful for the grace of God. And then you're able to respond in love to God and to others. Here's the other thing the gospel does. It releases power in your life. There are only two things the apostle Paul says that are powerful, the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. You know, at C4, we're not going to preach anything other than the gospel. We are preaching it unashamedly in every every sermon, every connect group discussion, every motivation for every everything that we do is based on the gospel. Paul prays this in verse 18 and 19. May you have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You know, how long is the love of Christ? Well, it's so long that it started way back before you were even born thought of. It says in Ephesians 1.4, God has set his love on us from all eternity. It's not a new idea. It's a forever idea. How high is God's love? David says it's as high as the heavens are from the earth. Hard to imagine. I mean, uh, astrologers say like 15.5 light, billion light years or something. I don't even know what that means, that the heavens are above the earth. I don't know what that means, but I know it's a long way away. And the love of God is as high as that, unattainable. The depths or the width of God's love is the idea that He's in charge of everything. That he sends out his angels to every activity there is on earth. And you know, when you think about that, what does that do to you when you're interacting with people? That the angelic army is right there with you at your beck and call. That actually that job interview, that that need for finances, that emotional need in your life, actually the width of God says, I'm in control, I'm actually present right here and now. And the depth of God that he would go so low, even to hell itself, deep enough to reach into the lowest hell to save us. Scripture says it's rare that someone would die for a a good man, but God shows his love to us in that Christ died for us while we were still ungodly. Wow. No matter how deep our sin is, his love goes deeper. So he ends with this incredible doxology. I mean, when you think about the gospel, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit at work in this loving relationship that you're invited into. He breaks out into this incredible doxology that I want to close with, and I want you to Say it with me, but we're just going to say it one word at a time as we unpack this together. It begins with this. Say this with me. Now to Him. Now think about this. Him who is Father, Son, and Spirit, this perfect triune God. Now to Him, say this, who is able. This He's not able. Limited. He doesn't have restrictions. He's completely capable. Nothing goes beyond him. Now to him who is able to do, right? We have a God that will do, will actively be involved in the every area of our life, no matter how we think that maybe we're in charge or maybe they're not that important. God is able to do in every corner of our life whatever needs doing. He's in charge, he will judge all things, both now and scripture says, and he will finish what he starts. That's the kind of God we have—a God now to Him, who is able to do. Say this, immeasurably more. You see, I love this. It's not a little bit more. It's not somewhat improved or or better than we could maybe ask for. It's immeasurably more. It's beyond quantifying. You know, when I pray the scriptures, there's so often I don't even know what I'm praying for. I'm just like, Lord help me, right? And when we say, Lord, help me, he says, oh man, I got so many good plans for you. I'm not only going to bring your kids back, I'm going to work out my will in their life, they're going to impact the kingdom. I'm not only going to heal your body, I'm going to strengthen you so that you can serve others, I'm going to heal your marriage because actually not even so much for you I want other people to see how great I am. You see, we have a God who can do immeasurably more, say the next phrase, than all we ask or imagine. See, there it is again. We can't even think about what to ask. We can't even imagine what He might do with our prayers. We can't even begin to dream or imagine what's really going on. How could we be involved in such a heavenly story? How would we even be deserving? We're not, actually. All of us deserve hell. But God says, I actually care about every aspect of your life. I'm gonna do something so great with that. You're gonna be astounded. And how does he do it? What does the next phrase say? According to his power. Okay, people, get over yourself already, right? It's not about you. It's not I pray a prayer in the morning and then, well, it's up to me for the rest of the day. According to this dynamite, I'll say the C4 explosive power, you know, like that is the thing. Power beyond any realm, power beyond any angel, power beyond any demon, power beyond Satan himself, power beyond our stubborn will. Anybody need that kind of power, right? And the next phrase, say it with me, that is at work where within us it's not some power that's out there as a believer you get the power of god that actually indwells you by the holy spirit he's already happening it's already at work it's available to you you need to welcome the filling of it not that god's able to do what we expect but rather his power is already working. He's already at work. God doesn't fit our limitations. God doesn't fit to the limitations of our expectations. He invites us to join him in what he's doing. And that's what you pray. Please, Lord, I welcome your will to be done. I want the activity of God beyond the limits of my own ability to ask for that's what i want to do i want to join in that and let's close with this great ending to say to him be what glory glory says everyone look at god that's what everybody look at god in your life in the fail in your failures of your 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 struggles with your family with your marriages if you can say look at god like that had nothing to do with me you are bringing glory to god you see when god, you see god when you look at jesus he gets the praise he gets the credit and where does this stuff happen just for you individually what's the next phrase say in the church you see god doesn't do anything without the family. Everything he does is in family. You don't get to just pray by yourself for your own little world. That is a weak faith. A strong faith has invited my brothers and my sisters. I'm inviting the church to pray with me as I go through these things in my life. Why? Because it's not about you. It's about the glory of God, and it's about together, as we pray together, and I would suggest to you, as we share and testify, just like in the songs that we're writing, in the stories that we're telling, in the groups when we sit and tell the story of God in our groups, we are giving God the glory, and that's how God loves to work. And he ends with this great phrase, and in Christ Jesus throughout what? all generations. It's for everyone. There's no limit to it. Forever and ever. Amen. All God's people said, amen. You see, this is the powerful Christian life. This is the stuff that God wants you to live by. This is the way he wants you to pray. So you can pray these three things. Take this scripture this week. Dive into the gospel Look deeply into the gospel that's illustrated in these verses. Bow to the Father. Thank Jesus for the gospel, the death and resurrection. Welcome the Holy Spirit to fill you with all the power of heaven and forgive goodness sake, give your stuff over to God because he's able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask for. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.